0: Welcome to Chatechesis, I'm your host, Deacon Matt Hallback, PhD, and I'm also a deacon of the Diocese of Des Moines, Iowa. I'm your host of Chatechesis, a podcast series for clergy that helps them find creative and fresh ways to share the gospel message and promote missionary discipleship. This episode is brought to you by Sadler's newest catechetical series, Christ in Us and Cristo in Nosotros, which partners with families to help them play an active and meaningful role in their child's faith formation. Learn more at sadlyourreligion.com forward slash C-I-U. We're here today with our guest, Deacon Eric Page from the Archdiocese of Seattle Office of Marriage and Family Life and Formation. Uh, Eric, how are you doing?
1: Doing well. How about you, Matt?
0: We're great. We're so happy to have you on this uh, program. Uh, We're going to be hearing a lot of what's coming out of your office uh, during this time to support Faith Formation. But before we get there, is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners about yourself?
1: I uh, just, you know, live out here in the Seattle, Washington area with my wife and two daughters. My wife teaches Catholic school at All Saints in Puyallup and is a second grade teacher. And uh, daughters are uh, products of both Catholic education and public education. And they're uh, both enormous blessings in my life.
0: Well, I'm also a product of Catholic and public education. I think I turned out Okay uh the deacon formation or i should say the diaconate, accepted me but you know maybe they lowered the bar i have no idea so uh the pro- i'm in so it doesn't matter at this point uh, just as you are so <laughs> all right let's get to it um our last episode we chatted with the father james burkhardt uh down in the archdiocese of galveston houston one of the topics that we explored and actually spent quite a bit of time talking about was the, and it's not about shifting responsibilities back on the parents in terms of them being the first formators, first catechists, but it's about how do we, and from your perspective, Eric, how do you do this as a diocese in Seattle where you empower parents to take on that role of primary educator, primary uh, catechist? Um, what's your philosophy? What's your approach? And, and we can get into the resources in just a little bit.
1: Well, You know, in a lot of ways, our philosophy, philosophy is kind of embodied by you know, what Jesus did, and you know, there's a great line in uh, the Gospel of Luke where they, it talks about how he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the children to their fathers, and, and what Jesus asks us to do is to help deepen those relationships, and parents should know that they're going to get that help from the Holy Spirit in doing that work, because sometimes there's this natural reluctance. We'll think about, well, you know, I'm not a perfect witness or will think, I don't have the intellectual knowledge about the faith, I can't describe theology in detail. And so there's sometimes this reluctance for parents to act in the role of speaking about Jesus, speaking about their experience of the faith. Mm -hmm. And our job is largely to encourage them, to let them know that they're not going to be speaking out of a particular technical knowledge. They're going to be speaking out of the depth of their relationship with Jesus. They're going to be speaking out of their love for their children. And that the deck is stacked in their favor when they're dealing with their children, because you know we tend to think that our children are going to second guess us, but even when they approach that age of the teens, our children still understand that everything that comes from us is coming out of the same place that our everyday care for them comes from that you know these are the people who fed me when I was a child who took care of me when I was difficult mm-hmm. and they're offering this because they want to offer something of themselves to me as a person who wants to grow into who I'm meant to be. And so by parents speaking, they're always going to have a, an, an inherent advantage that their words are going to land.
0: Yeah, very much that, that inherent advantage, that that's a great turn. Um, you know, the, the authority and the familiarity all there in one and the parent. Um, yeah. very influential, very persuasive, very formative. Uh, one of our first episodes is with a father, Parker Sandoval in the Archdiocese of LA. Uh, he's now vice chancellor there. We got into a pretty good a conversation about the role of witness today. Um, which, that seems to be what you're talking about, Deacon, that what, what it sounds like what you're trying to do, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it yeah. sounds like what you're trying to do is help moms and dads discover their own witness. Does that yeah. be a fair assessment?
1: No, absolutely. Uh, you know, there's that line from Evangeli Nutiandi that the, you know the, uh, the faith is passed on by witnesses more than teachers and to the extent mm-hmm. that people listen to teachers is if it's if they're an effective witness so
0: mm-hmm.
1: we have to speak first to our children from a place of our own heart and being able to say Jesus has impacted my life and so I want him to be present in yours as well.
0: Wonderful. So let's get into the nuts and bolts of this, the practicalities of really trying to empower families, parents to rediscover their witness or discover it for the first time. Uh, I noticed that the Archdiocese of Seattle has a wonderful uh, resource might be the wrong word, program might be a better word. Uh, I'll let you characterize it, but it's called Finding Calm and it seems like you're offering uh, an event and topics for discussion on a weekly basis to try to uh, help provide some family faith formation. Can you say a little bit about Finding Calm?
1: Sure. In this year 2020, which is the year characterized by uh, pandemics, wildfires, murder hornets, I mean, you name it, there's all (laughs) kinds of crazy stuff that's going on this year. Families are really interested in kind of trying to create some stability in their homes. And it's, you know, a lot of it has to do with the fact that sometimes they're in school, sometimes they're not in school, maybe they can go to mass in person, maybe they can't. And since what we do outside of the home is, for lack of a better way to describe it, unstable, we want to try to create an environment in the home where a lot of the good things that need to happen are built into what's happening at home. And we developed a lot of the content there out of some of the principles that are present in the Rule of St. Benedict, because, as, you know, as we know, the Rule of St. Benedict emerged out of a time of enormous instability in the fifth century, and that Benedictine way has been a wonderful way that the faith is carried, and that a lot of people find stability in their life. So, you know, that model is something that we can go to as a family to to strengthen our Relationships with their children to help create a sense that the home is a place of peace and a place of encouragement. And so, you know, we we drill down a little bit on how to pray with words, how to pray with action, how to develop a routine and a rhythm in the home life, how to kind of create a, a space for God to work in our children's lives, and everything is designed to be simple. And scalable, so we want to give them something that they can adapt readily, and that's something that, that they can build on over
0: time. Now, now finding calm is—is is it primarily delivered through linking to your website, or are you sending things through email, or how are you how are you reaching people?
1: It's delivered through our website. We're going to be recording it, and we're also we're providing some live webinars. In fact, you know, on October twentieth, we're going to have another another one where people are welcome to come, and you know. And participate, and there's really very little limit on it, so we can send you a link and make it available to others. Um, and we also are driving some of the same content through videos that we send out to um, to families and to who use our Archdiocese of Seattle Facebook uh, connections, so if they're getting our material through Facebook they'll get those videos. So we're trying to drive it in multiple ways because parishes really need access to the information as much as possible because they're very very busy and they need to be able to send material to their families and that's another key is that we try to make it wherever possible either something they can direct their families towards or it's shareable so that they can push the content themselves.
0: Terrific, Uh, we'll make sure that we get the right link uh, however you're delivering it we'll make sure we get that link to this episode so that uh, our listeners can check it out because it sounds like a wonderful resource. Uh, certainly, one of the topics uh, in any family is the mass. And from the from the point of view of children not wanting to go, mass is so boring, do we have to go? And in fact, I saw, and it was fairly close to your, your uh, resource, Finding Calm, a cool little resource that was called Do We Really Have to Go? Uh, Tell me a little bit about that, and how are you addressing that through your Finding Calm initiative?
1: Sure. Well, and one of the things that we're trying to do right now is to try to create a message that parents can understand whether they're in a place where they can safely go to Mass or whether they still have to participate in live stream Mass because of health concerns for a family mm-hmm. member, but we really want them to know that, that Mass carries its power, even if we don't have the immediate affective experience. I mean, you know, we're deacons, but you probably know how it is you're driving to driving to mass with your children, and everybody thinks, oh, the deacon's family, they're just all saying, dad, when can we, can we go to mass? This is the best experience ever. I wish mass
0: was five hours long. Yeah, yeah.
1: exactly. I wish there was just more. And, you know, the reality of it is that the experience of the mass is one that has a powerful impact on us, whether or not we're sort of into it, for lack of a better way to describe it at the moment. Mm -hmm. There's a great book uh, called The Hidden Mana by uh, Father O'Connor. And in the last part of it, he talks about the way that mass works on us, sometimes even if we're not fully aware of it. Mm -hmm. And he cites uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, who talked about the way that our experience of the mass is sometimes like the Israelites experience of the manna in the desert. At first they get the manna and they respond to it with this enormous excitement. This is, the, this is the best thing ever. And then after they've been in the desert for a long time, they're saying, you know, I'm tired of this manna. It's the same stuff. It's the same stuff we've always been getting but it nourishes nonetheless. Mm-hmm. And also it points us toward the thing that's going to be ultimately satisfying. So there's going to be those times we go to mass and it clicks for us. It's just, wow, that was exactly what I needed right now. And I have an affective experience of that was great. Mm-hmm. And then there's other times we go to it and we don't have that experience. But the thing that's so important to remember is that the Mass on Center intellect, it also imp- improves our will, it helps shape our memory and it shapes our imagination. So even if we're not aware of it, it's acting on us in the same way that sometimes we'll be walking around and we'll hear a song that we heard years ago or uh, or sometimes an advertising jingle or whatever and we think, how did that get in there? Well, our memory stored it in there. And Mm -hmm. the mass, the more times we repeat that, the more it shapes our powers of imagination.
0: I think that's terrific uh, what you just said. Um, There's really nothing I can add or build to that. I'll I'll say this, though, with Generations Y and Z, uh, I have to remind them that before there was Peter Jackson, there was J.R.R. Tolkien. So that was... (laughs) And and to the point of, could we have more Mass or could Mass last longer? I remember being a fifth grader in my religious ed class and father, with great intentions, good intentions, said to, to all of us, describing heaven, he said, do you know what heaven's like? And we're all like on our, on, on our you know, pins and needles. Heaven is like a mass that goes on forever. Now, like for a fifth grader, I don't know. You could take that two ways. And I, I certainly took it as, oh, my Lord. Uh, <laughs> at any rate, being, being a little more, hopefully anyway, a little wiser, uh, a little more experienced. I totally appreciate what he said. But, uh, you know, I sound like this. Uh, do we have to go or why do we need to go? Uh, going to Mass, addressing that within this wonderful resource, Finding Calm, that's a great thing you're doing. Yeah. So let's uh, let's shift gears for a second and talk a little bit about a resource that you pointed me to that you thought was helpful, influential, not only for your um, visioning there within your diocesan office, your programming, your evangelization, but that other clergy should definitely check out if they haven't already, and that's coming from the Notre Dame Institute for Church Life, and it's a, it's a publication... Uh, a few years back called Ask Your Father and He Will Tell You, a report right. on American Catholic Religious Parenting. Yeah. So tell me how this document's been, if you will, sort of a charter for you.
1: You know, it's been really helpful because one of the things we talked about a little bit about earlier is that parents have this built-in advantage and this capacity to communicate to their children that we as professionals in the church might lack. And it's not because our parent, you know, parents don't they don't know as much as we might know about the church technically, but they know a ton about their children and they interact with their children. They know about their children's experiences and they can speak to those experiences. That's why this study found that the number one factor in whether or not children practice the faith is the faith engagement
0: of their parents. So now we're back to witness again.
1: Exactly. It's, It's exactly that. And, so when, this, when the parent practices the faith, it speaks to them in a nonverbal way that's incredibly powerful, and it avoids the trap, which, I mean, you and I both have had this experience that's a little bit dispiriting in parish life, and this is back in the day when everybody went to religious education, where the cars would pull up in front of the parish center. <laughs> and just sit there forever. The doors open, the, out comes a child, and off goes the car to go shopping or whatever, and you know, and you're missing this enormous opportunity mm-hmm. to, for, to communicate to your children, hey, this is something I care about. And they've even done interviews with kids where young people who were formed in that way, who had parents who dropped them off at uh, religious education and then took off,
0: mm-hmm.
1: were, when they were asked, you know, what are your plans about practicing the faith? And they pretty much said, well, you know, I, I you know, probably won't practice the faith, but when I have kids, I'll take them to religious education. And so they're what they're doing is they're doing exactly what their parents did for them. Perpetuating. You know, it's so if we want to see a behavior in our children, the most powerful thing to do is to do that in our own lives and to practice
0: it. Amen. And again, sounds like you're doing some terrific things there in the Archdiocese of Seattle and And again, I hope our listeners uh, take advantage of the links we're going to connect to this episode. Uh, We will link out to the Notre Dame document, Ask Your Father and He Will Tell You. We also will have a link for the Finding Calm uh, initiative there. So let's hit one more with the brief time we have left. And it's called At Home with Family. Looks like it's a digital resource, again, supporting faith at home. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So. At Home
1: with Faith was born when the pandemic first began to shut down masses, and one of our auxiliary bishops tapped me on the shoulder and said, um, we need something that that families can use at home. And so it's designed to be shareable by parishes. We pro- we produce it w- within the diocese, and it's based on the lectionary, but it's also something that a can be sent on to a family that a family can understand without necessarily having the Bible in front of them, but it's designed to help them kind of dive into the lectionary, but also understand how, here's how we as a family can share our faith through some simple practices. So the type of things that that it will do is it will offer parents a video or, and also offer a written section that talks about here's some questions you can ask your children that help get the wheels Turning in their minds about the faith. Here's some ways to talk about your experience as a parent in your family uh, in terms of understanding the faith. So, if you're looking at, say, All Saints Day, you're not going to have to say, "Let me tell you about the history of All Saints in the church." What what you're going to say as a parent is, "Hey, what are some of your favorite saints?" Mm -hmm. Get them talking about that. Mm -hmm. And if you're uh, speaking to them about All Saints Day, as a parent you might say, no, this is my confirmation saint. This is the reason I picked that saint. Mm-hmm. Or even better, you know, something where, you know what, you remind me of you know, St. George, you're so brave. And they might think, who's St. George? And so those little things are ways that parents can help carry the faith. And At Home with Faith is designed to carry that. And it's designed to be bite-sized, for lack of a better way to describe it. So a parish can in, introduce it into their bulletin, or can push it to their families via email, or can ask them to um, connect up with them on Facebook.
0: That, that sounds wonderful, Eric, um, and we'll definitely have a link to it uh, to this episode. Um, just a thought occurred, and it was based on the last uh, interview we did with Father Burkhardt, um, who's in the Archdiocese of Galveston Houston. He was part of the what was called Southwest Liturgical Commission, now, it sounds like they have a regional, so you'd have other regions of the country that have these liturgical commissions. You're in the Office of Marriage and Family Life. Do you have these kinds of regional opportunities to gather with other ministers and, and share ideas, concerns?
1: Well, it's kind of interesting because it's, the dynamic of the pandemic's opened up new possibilities. We've traditionally done trainings and meetings with, our, with ministers in their region or deanery. Um, what's happened now though, is we're finding that with Zoom, we can have those meetings virtually on a more frequent basis. So we're never gonna give up the in-person meetings because those are so important. We're also blessed with a really nice retreat center in our diocese that we use. Mm-hmm. But being able to kind of get those touch points on a more regular basis and to train people on you know new policies, new procedures, new techniques, digitally enables us to kind of be present to them just a little bit more frequently than they were before. So
0: do you get to perfect. meet though at an like an interdiocesan level, like t- multiple dioceses coming together, multiple people in your role coming together to talk?
1: So we do have so Region 12 will sometimes gather people, the USCCP Region 12 okay. will gather people and, and that's been a great resource. Another one is the Quinto Encuentro has provided a lot of opportunities to gather for people on a regional basis. And that's a nice model that I think we might look to in the future of just kind of looking at things regionally because you know it is nice to know people it, particularly if you, if you're in diocesan ministry in mm-hmm. another diocese. We do a lot of stuff with Portland because they're not far from us similar uh similar size, similar cultural environment, so you know it's a real Blessed and have those connections
0: so before we close out and and say thank yous and ask for your for your blessing for for myself and our listeners i gotta ask you this as a huge uh fan of the nineteen ninety sitcom comedy Frasier, have you been to cafe nervosa is that a real place it
1: i don't know if it's a real place or not i've never <laughs> been there but there's the coffee is enormous here so (laughs) so there's plenty of it you can get as much as you want and you can also pay as much as you want
0: for it. i bet i bet and we're not going to link to the series fraser on this episode but uh i just had i just had to ask i'm a huge fan huge fan well listen deacon eric thank you for your time thank you for the wisdom that uh, you're sharing on behalf of the diocese of seattle the archdiocese of seattle there and um uh, before we close out, would you mind offering your blessing to uh, myself and our listeners?
1: Sure. So in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and Lord, we ask for your blessing upon all these servants of your, your Son, guidance that we may be effective ministers and to bring
0: your good news to your holy people.
1: In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. This concludes our episode of Catechesis. here with Deacon Eric Page, Archdiocese of Seattle, Washington, giving us some great tips and insights about supporting family catechesis. Deacon Eric, thank you once again. And to our listeners, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Catechesis. Head over to sadlyreligion.com forward slash podcast to hear more. And don't forget to request your sample and trial of Christ in us. And our bilingual edition, Cristo en Nosotros, at sadlyreligion.com forward slash CIU.